0: Hawking Birds. Free, 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 free.
1: Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Or Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com And proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. We'd like to invite all of Ray's listeners to join us on one of our free upcoming walks at birding hotspots throughout Rhode Island. Explore the smallest state in the Union with the biggest variety of birds by visiting our website, www.oceanstatebirdclub.org, for more information. You can also follow us on Facebook. Find out all we have to offer birders with Ocean State Bird Club.
2: Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 724. I'm not sure that's the right number. We're going to have to check that. But welcome anyway, and welcome to Bird Punk. Uh, No, that's not a new name for our show. uh, And it's not, as far as we know, the name of David Clapp's hair or clothing (laughs) style. Uh, (laughs) Lack of hair or lack of clothing style. (laughs) Uh, We'll get a confirmation about that uh, uh, shortly. (laughs) But meanwhile, as reported by Audubon.org, Bird Punk is kind of an amalgam of birding and... Punk rock. One of the movement's leaders is Tony Crosdale, who has a swallow-tailed kite, belted kingfisher, scissor-tailed flycatcher, greater racket-tailed drongo, scarlet tanager, and three types of vultures tattooed on his legs, collarbone, and arms. Doesn't everybody? Familiar, <laughs> isn't it, David? He, he says he started birding as a kid, and the music came at age nineteen when he launched the vegan thrashcore band. Rambo. That's a little uh, sample of one of their tunes. It's the only one we could find with a bird name. It's called Goose Music. Uh, But when the group broke up, Crowsdale went back to his home in Philadelphia and turned his focus to environmental activism and eventually went on to found the Bird Philly education program. He says the hybridation of punk rock with birding has strengthened his resolve to tend to nature and fight oppression with personal action, a sentiment shared by his many bird punk friends around the country. You can find the full story on our Facebook page or just do an online search for bird punk. Uh, But uh, Smithsonian Tours International... Bird trip leader David Clapp is not really here to talk about bird punk, although I'm sure he would like oh, to. I'd love to. But he's uh, really here to talk about bird migration. Good morning, David. Good morning, Ray. How are you today? I'm um, well, thank you. That's good. Beautiful great. day. It is beautiful here and great, as always, to have you um, back on the show. We have some breaking thank news, speaking of bird migration. The, it's news to us, anyway. Yeah. Um, what, what can it be? This is thanks to our friend Andre up in Trois-Rivières, Quebec, oh. Um, Well, we remember this back in, this is 2015. The researchers up at the University of Guelph in Ontario, Canada, um, confirmed that poles birding in the maritimes in New England do this amazing transatlantic flight or transoceanic flight uh, for about, what, 1,700 miles off the coast of the U.S. down to South America.
3: pole warblers are a very small bird. They weigh less than half an ounce. 29 grams to the ounce they weigh 13 to 14 grams so they're tiny mm-hmm. they're light they take off they typically there's a guy named Williams who did a lot of radar research back in the 60s and 70s and he found that these birds would fly from either the Canadian Maritimes or even Block mm-hmm. Island Rhode Island mm-hmm. and and then out over the ocean pick up the the trade winds down near the aqua- equator and be blown back onto South America mm-hmm. and, and he couldn't believe it but that's what the radar showed him was
2: going on and apparently it's now well proven indeed so the the news here the breaking news is that same group of researchers has managed to track black poles from western canada all the way across the continent where they rest and fatten up along the eastern shore of the u.s and then as david's just describing traveling down there to their winter ground, wintering grounds in Colombia, in venezuela and brazil and they use these tiny little geolocators, which are not really transmitters, right? These no, are, they're not transmitters.
3: Yeah. It's a light-level recorder. It, it, you can take the rays of the light, rays of sunshine, and from it determine all kinds of things. You can determine uh, location, you can determine time of day, you can determine the seasonality, you can determine surprisingly large numbers. It's, it's actually the kind of instrument they use to measure movements of stars. When you're looking up into space in a telescope and that people are talking about things, that's what they're using is the same, the same technology. And, but the problem with these, these were invented to be used on albatrosses because an albatross, mm-hmm. you put it on a baby albatross, it flies out over the ocean and six, seven, eight, ten years later it comes back to the same site right. and you can grab it again. Mm-hmm. The problem with these is that they don't transmit, as you said, mm-hmm. and you have to find the geolocator again to get all the information which makes it difficult, because on a tiny bird, they die over the ocean, they die in Mm Colombia. You're never going to find it. So they hope
2: to get one in a mist net.
3: They hope to get them in a mist net, and they're now finding some ways of downloading information from these. They're able to talk to them from the ground into the uh, geolocator and then get the information off it. So Mm -hmm. within a few years, I'm sure they'll be able to be downloaded quite easily. Mm -hmm.
2: Pretty amazing stuff. Yeah,
3: well, it's it's staggering technology.
2: Indeed. (laughs) What we're hearing right now is... Our mystery bird. This is a preview of our mystery bird contest, which will officially happen a little bit later in the show, but we wanted to give you a preview, so you'll be uh, ready to call in when we kind of give the signal a little bit later. Our mystery bird is a large songbird with a blue head and wings and tail, a grayish-blue back, kind of dingy white underparts, and a long tail. Here in the U.S., it's found mostly in the oak woodlands of western Texas, New Mexico, and Arizona. Our bird is an omnivore feeding uh, on the ground a foraging on the ground for all kinds of food that's our preview of our mystery bird it is it's also on a here. preview of my vacation <laughs> I will be in the location where
3: this bird lives uh, in mid-April and where would that be? That would, that be, would uh, actually uh,
2: the lovely Francis and I will yeah. be at Big Bend in Texas all Right. well you'll be seeing this bird I bet absolutely and, uh, but meanwhile it's our mystery bird we have beautiful prizes including the Droll Yankees Observer Window Feeder that's a really cool one that attaches yeah. right to your window yeah and yes, it really does stick on there, no problem. And uh, we also have a download to your iOS device or online access to the Lockwire app, the app that makes uh, makes birding. Uh, what does it do? It makes um, learning bird learning. sounds. Learning bird song. Thank you for yep. Yep. clarifying that. So that's uh, <laughs> those are our prizes here. Well, we want to say thank you. We're very excited to welcome a new Talking Birds ambassador from Europe. So thanks to Marta from Barcelona. Catalonia. She's been listening to our our program for a while and enjoying it, she says. And she goes bird watching almost every weekend around her area. She says around Barcelona, there are some very interesting birding spots. She also says next to the Barcelona airport, there's a wonderful wetland. So it's easy to combine a cultural trip with a bit of bird watching. Sounds like Logan Airport. In it in it Boston, does, Logan look?
3: Airport. A lot of places. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You can get to very good birding close to the Close to the airport because the airport protects a lot of
2: land usually. Mm-hmm. So she's doing that in Barcelona. She says she was there last Sunday, and there were several garganies. Such a beautiful duck with a broad white crescent over the eye. A European bird, right, David? We we'll see it here sometimes. We see it
3: occasionally, yeah. very rarely, actually, but occasionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's not as pretty as our wood duck, but it's probably in the top ten of pretty ducks. Yeah.
2: And far away from Marta is Carolyn Canterbury from Los Angeles, California, joining our ambassadors program. Thank you, Carolyn. She says she'll carry some Talking Birds cards with her when she goes birding. And she says, feel free to use my full name on air if you enjoy saying Canterbury. Canterbury. Uh, They make candy, don't they? Oh, chocolate. Oh, that's Cadbury. Oh, Cadbury. Yeah, 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 but anyway, we like saying (laughs) it. So (laughs) thank you so much, Carolyn. Um, To join the amazing Talking Birds ambassador family, as Marta and Carolyn have just done, just click on the contact button at TalkingBirds.com and choose the Become an Ambassador option. Still to come on our show today, more with David Birdpunk Clap <laughs> with an, inter- an overview <laughs> of some of the best spots in America for observing spring bird migration. It's time. Yeah, plus a chat with our man Mike O'Connor from Cape Cod's famous Birdwatchers General Store on the topic of spring bird feeding. It's that's, time for that's that, good. Uh, yeah. too, I think, yeah. yeah. And up next, a bird that uh, folks from all over most of the country are looking forward to seeing this spring as it migrates up from way down south is today's featured feathered friend presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. 12,000 years ago, The lives of Purple Martins were very different than they are today. In those days, they nested in abandoned woodpecker cavities and other natural chambers in dead trees or in cliff sides. Native Americans began using natural gourds as nesting chambers for the birds when they discovered that the birds would come to their villages to nest. It's thought that this may have come about after a pair of Martins tried nesting in a long-handled dipper gourd hung near a pond by natives as a drinking utensil. Eighteenth- and nineteenth-century documents suggest that these early Americans attracted Martins to their villages because the birds functioned like scarecrows, chasing crows away from their corn patches and keeping vultures away from their meats and hides that were hung out to dry. The Martins may also have served as a kind of alarm clock since they begin singing so early and regularly in the morning, and as calendars since every phase of their annual cycle from arrival, territory establishment, nest building, egg laying, hatching, fledging, and departure occurs on a regular and predictable schedule. They may even have been useful as the avian equivalent of watchdogs since they're known for giving alarm calls when predators or strangers approach. When the European colonists arrived in the New World, they too adopted the Indian custom of hanging gourds or purple martins. And it seems only fair that humans should provide homes for these birds since we brought the European starling and house sparrow to the US in the 1800s. These non-native species outcompete purple martins for the nesting compartments people offer, and constant vigilance is required to keep those birds from taking over the martins' nests. Today, east of the Rockies, the only place Purple Martins' nest is in human-supplied housing, in elaborate martin houses, or in natural or artificial gourds. If humans were to stop supplying martins with homes, it's believed they would likely disappear as a breeding bird in eastern North America. It's not nice to mess with Mother Nature, but once we've done so, we've got to do something to clean up the mess we've made. Providing homes for purple martins seems like a good start. The purple martin, Progne subis, today's talking birds featured feathered friend. Good morning. Welcome again to our show number 720, not the number oh. I gave earlier. See, it's the 24th that we're doing the show live, and somehow that kind of found its way into the number of the show, but it's actually number 720, Uh, and you thought you had missed a few. I I did. I was worried, yeah. David David Clack is our guest right here in the studio. He's an international tour leader for Smithsonian Migrations. Uh, or Smithsonian Tours, sorry, yep. but uh, we're talking about...
3: Smithsonian Journeys was the official name.
2: The, that's that's exactly what that's I said, Smithsonian Journeys. journeys thank right. you, yeah, thank that, you very yep. much. Okay. Yep. But we're talking about spring migration, and... Uh, There are some really special places to look for birds in spring migration. You could travel to these places, but uh, some of them may be quite near to you because we picked out a bunch from different parts of the country—from the east coast, west coast, down south, Midwest, and so on. And uh, so, here are some of the ones here we we listed. And and David, you might uh, just have some little comments about. Cape May, New Jersey, first of all, kind of a famous funnel for East Coast migrants. It is uh,
3: famous in many ways. They've had a lot of bird observatory work there. Pete Dunn and others have been monitoring migration in and out, everything from monarch butterflies to birds of prey. Um, And Cape May, New Jersey, is very similar to Point Reyes, California, which is on the West Coast, very similar, sticks out up near San Francisco um, and catches birds that are coming north especially uh, and get a little bit out over the water and they see that piece of land and they hop mm-hmm. to it so any island any coastal any promontory that sticks out especially in the springtime can be well well visited
2: yeah if you're in that area but want to go somewhere else well there's central park new york really a uh, famous urban oasis absolutely urban,
3: yeah. absolutely uh, Sapphire, she did walks there for thirty years. She's passed away just recently, but lovely lady did walks mm-hmm. at Central Park. Had dozens of people every day for years and years and years. And a great PBS
2: special was she, done Yeah, that's right. Her. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
3: Star was a she was a treasure. And she actually came up here and did a walk at my property, one oh, of my properties oh my back gosh. in years ago. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, yeah. Any place like that—a cemetery in the middle of a city. If you live in an old city like Philadelphia, coastal cities especially, in Boston, it's uh, the Mount Auburn Cemetery, which mm-hmm. is in Watertown, Cambridge, and Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, any arboretum, any big park like Central Park, or uh, these places are great because birds fly over and they see urbanness underneath them, <laughs> and they think, "Oh, well, maybe I can find something better." Oh, look. Oh, There's an that. Arboretum look I'm at going that there green thing yeah. yeah so birding in the in a
2: city can be quite wonderful in the springtime mm-hmm. someplace completely different dry tortugas in Florida
3: yeah now a lot of these birds are flying over ocean mm-hmm. and they look at the first bit of land they see and they take it they're tired a lot of times they're hungry they're mm-hmm. thirsty like that poor little uh, black pole warbler we were talking yeah. about I mean, when that thing first gets to South America, it probably just, you know, sits down and just gasps and (laughs) looks for some fresh water and a couple of bugs to eat. (laughs) And coming north, the dry tortugas are off the Keys, Florida Keys. Mm -hmm. Um, There's an old fort down there, Fort Jefferson. And and there's big turn colonies. There's there's, uh, ocean birds as well. But all the migrants coming up from South America, that's one of the first pieces of land they see. And (laughs) they just drop in sometimes by the thousands.
2: Then there's a place they call the Warbler Capital of the World, uh, McGee Marsh Wildlife Area. Well, I mean, now
3: I think the people along the Texas well, coast—yeah, I was going, going to say <laughs> that people on the Texas coast would take offense at that, yeah, because these warblers first coming across the Caribbean mm-hmm. stop at Boy Scout Woods and High, he- High Pine, um, High Head, and all this stuff in Texas on the way north. And then they go up. And then when they hit Lake Ontario, Lake Superior, Lake Michigan, these places, they they go, oh my gosh, I've got to fly across that. (laughs) So they stop and they feed again. And that's McGee Marsh. Northern Ohio, right up against Lake Ontario, is it? Yeah, Yeah, Um, I think so. McGee Marsh is just, they've got boardwalks in there. And the boardwalks are wide now because the bird watchers used to always clog them up. So now that there's plenty of room, they have all kinds of walks, especially through the month of May. Just a a spectacular stop before the birds go up to Canada, and after they cross the, o- the ocean, after they cross the big lake, there's a little peninsula in Canada that sticks down called Point Pele, mm-hmm. which is another equally good spot. That's yeah. where the tired birds land.
2: Right.
3: And so you can have them there, and you've got all the birds sort of, again, walking on the ground.
2: Yeah. Lake Erie, I think. Just lake Erie. Erie, is it Lake Erie? From McGee uh, yeah. Marsh. Yeah, one of the warbler capitals of the world. Yep. And, then, and I think you just alluded to this place, High Island, Texas, famous for fallouts.
0: Nuclear fallout. Bird fallout.
2: Thank you, Jack Black, from the, uh,
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> from the, big, the year. big year. <laughs> yeah, famous for fallouts of birds crossing the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, that's that spot. These uh, live oak, little live oak copses
3: that are down there along the coast, um, whether it's, it's even South Padre Island picks up shorebirds and some mm-hmm. migrants and things. But the wooded, the little brushy wooded spots don't need to be very large. But as long as they're on that Texas coast, boy, they can be good. Mm-hmm. Can One really other good.
2: place, David, that you mentioned uh, just a minute ago, Point Reyes National Seashore in California. It's said or they claim anyway, half of all North American species can be seen there. So uh, yeah, well, it's, it's certainly <laughs> possible, especially over time.
3: But <laughs> um, it's it's a promise, It's an appendix that sticks out a little bit. You know, it's a rocky mm-hmm. peninsula. Uh, It's got trees on it. If you watch golf, you've seen places like Torrey Pines and the golf courses, the beautiful golf courses along the California coast. And those places get birds also, but you get something that sticks out like that. Even the Farallon Islands or Monhegan Island Hmm. here off Maine, those places can be great, and
2: Point Reyes is like that. We're talking with David Clapp, uh, international bird tour leader for Smith. Sonian uh, journeys. Oh thank yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we're gonna talk more about spring birding this time in the backyard when we connect with our man Mike O'Connor down there at the famous Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans Cape Cod. It's um, coming along very shortly, but uh, next, before that it even happens, it would be our mystery bird contest in just one
1: minute. <laughs> Inchi
2: Tanzania Tanzania hosts more than a thousand bird species and on safari with Nasera Safaris, you'll see the birds and the big five. The lion, leopard,
0: elephant, rhino, and Cape Buffalo.
2: That's Nasera Safaris founder and guide, Joseph Dunguru. And Nasera Safaris provides more, says co-founder David Clapp. We offer customized safaris and mountain climbing adventures in
3: Tanzania, Kenya, and Uganda, and gorilla trekking in both Uganda and Rwanda.
2: Going on safari in Africa is an unforgettable experience, and there's no better way to do it than with Nasera Safaris. See their website for details, naserasafaris.com. N-A-S-E-R-A, Nasera Safaris. And there's the sound of our mystery bird. This is the actual contest now, so don't hesitate to give us a call and tell us what that bird is or take your guess. A special feature of the mystery bird contest is that you don't necessarily have to get the right answer to win, as long as somebody else doesn't get the right answer, because a drawing will determine our winner if there is no exact answer received. Clues about our bird, a large songbird with a blue head and wings and tail, a grayish blue back dingy white underparts and a long tail here in the us found mostly in the oak woodlands of west texas new mexico and arizona our bird feeds by foraging on the ground for all kinds of food it's an omnivore and david clapp will be seeing uh, one of these birds uh, very uh, well what are the likelihood uh, what is the likelihood i don't know how I'll, common i'll this, see it. we'll see we'll it. see it yeah, it's, for sure it'll be common when he goes to uh, Big bend, in, Big bend uh, in West Texas. Southwest Texas. Southwest Texas. Tucked inside a curve of the
3: Rio Grande. All right, well, okay. right pardon. I, I have a cowboy <laughs> <Okay>. hat. Uh, so 781-837 is no, there's more to it. 781
2: 837 4900 is the number to call. Seven eight one eight three seven four nine hundred to uh, guess or tell us uh, the identity of our mystery bird, 781 837 4900. Meanwhile, Mike O'Connor, let's ask Mike live here in just one minute.
1: Talking Birds, we're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about birds and conservation.
0: My name is Rochelle Backer, and I live in Arlington, Tennessee. I became a Talking Birds ambassador because I love to talk to other people about birding, and I wanted to introduce them to Ray Brown's Talking Birds I struck up a conversation with a gentleman while looking at bird baths. He started sharing stories about his hummingbirds. I could tell he was really excited about birds, so
1: I told him about the show and handed him a couple cards. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll become a Talking Birds ambassador. Just visit our website, TalkinBirds.com. Click on the Contact button and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. We'll send you some info cards to hand out to your friends and neighbors. That's the contact button at TalkinBirds.com. And thanks.
2: Well, David, by the magic of technology, we're about to connect all the way to Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Really? Which is miles from here. I'll step outside right now. Uh, to talk with Mike, <laughs> <laughs> Michael O'Connor down there at the Bird Watchers uh, General Store. Good
0: morning, Mike. Oh, uh, Good morning, Ray. And good morning, Big Dave. Good morning, Michael. So we're talking... Hey, I hear you going to Texas. I am, I am. Can you give Texas me any... On vacation. Now, going on vacation, doesn't you have to get a job before you go on vacation?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a right. lifetime of hard work.
0: That's why
2: I never go. So we talked about all this bird migration, and birds are coming through our backyards in the spring, Mike. And people sometimes, uh, well, you would know this better than anybody, that people sometimes take down their feeders uh, after the winter. (laughs) And,
0: uh, well, a lot of people do, but certainly not yet. I yeah. mean, I mean, it, we're having a nice day right now, but this is not the same March that we're used to. Remember last year, we were hit with blizzard after yeah. blizzard in March, and I think other parts of the country had have had the what we had last year. Had it this year? Remember that bomb cyclone or whatever that name they made up went over in like Colorado just last weekend. Yeah. So, it's spring's a tough time for birds. The plants really haven't come out yet, and the bugs haven't popped out yet so I would continue feeding birds and I've said this before on your show but if I was going to feed birds it would be in the spring especially as it's April turns into May because this is when birds are are coming up from the south and you might get some more unusual birds here at the big deals like an indigo bunting or a blue grosbeak or here even um gross grosbeaks are a big deal in our part of the world but wherever you are birds are moving and you might get a chance to get an odd or unusual bird so if you're going to if you're going to feed birds i would do it spring and especially into the late spring and then when june hits and all the bugs stop popping up then if you want to shut it down you don't have to but if you want to do it then that would be a good time to do it
2: and we're going to see a lot of birds here in the New England area very soon. David was talking about yeah. those uh, purple martins that we, uh, we we featured a little while purple ago. Purple
3: martins. I've had a lot of purple finches as well. There were sandhill cranes reported yesterday. Over in Situate, Dennis has uh, four fox sparrows at his feeder right today. I mean, stuff is happening.
0: Right right that's what's what's nice about feeders is a lot of people don't aren't as active as as, as you are David with all your mountain climbing and, and all that <laughs> but, 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 but a lot of people just depend on their backyard and I, and I say this a lot but if you're going to have a feeder, have it where you can see it and pay attention to it, whether it's in your, your office window, your den window, or your kitchen window, where you'll look out a lot, and you'll see different mm-hmm. things. Like, didn't you have a lot of uh, siskins this year?
3: Lots. Lots
0: of siskins. Yeah. yeah, right. I didn't have a one, but I looked out every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, know, they wanted I to go to your pool house, pool.
3: but I told them
2: not to.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't ma- know where you buy a seed, David, but <laughs> it was <must be> magical. <laughs> yeah.
2: I better break this up here, I think. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Talk to you next week. Okay, I'll see you two later. Yeah, bye, Mike. Mike O'Connor down there at the legendary Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. For over a quarter century, Birdwatching Magazine has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Regular contributors include expert birders and authors such as Ken Kaufman, David Sibley, Pete Dunn, Laura Erickson, and others. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com. We're back here at the mystery bird contest, trying to identify this bird that David expects to be seeing at uh, Big Bend. Uh, what's the full name? It's Big, Nas- bend? big bend National Park. National that's, Park. That's, Park what, right. that's the whole or, name. Sure, Big Bend National Park there in uh, southwest uh, Texas. So is it right by the curve of the Rio Grande? Is that? Uh, it's it's in
3: the western part. of a big bend in the Rio Grande right there, and it tucks in there. Does that have anything to do Come with on. the name?
2: Uh, yeah. Oh, do you think that's it? <laughs> I never never thought of that. We'll look that up. <laughs> okay, Mystery Bird Contest. Can you identify this uh, mystery bird, a large songbird with a blue head, wings and tail, a grayish blue back, dingy white underparts and a long tail, found mostly there in West Texas, New Mexico and Arizona, and we have a call, David, from uh, Carol, who is in Austin, oh, the Texas, b- the bat capital of the world. I didn't know that. Oh the yeah, yeah. Austin's lovely. Yeah, they make the for National League and American League. Or no, 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 all- no.
3: I mean bats like <laughs> flying around eating bugs. So those bats, the little brown ones. <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> Carol will yeah, tell. Carol. Carol will tell us. Yeah, Carol will explain it all. Good morning, Carol. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome uh, welcome to the show, Carol. Thank Have you been you. listening for a while, or how did you find our show?
1: Yeah. We started listening to you on podcast, so we okay. just found you on the actual radio on actual- this morning.
2: On actual radio, okay. On
1: actual radio, oh, right. <laughs> yeah, ex- we didn't
2: even tell you. Her. Yeah. you'll have to explain that to us after the yeah. show because we don't have any exactly. no, I, I have trouble there. getting the tubes for them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, let's see. Uh, so, yeah. uh, Carolyn, you, uh, Carol, you heard our clues for the mystery bird, and you <clears> say, uh, <throat> what about that?
1: Uh, I think it's. A, I
2: think it might be a scrub jay. <sighs> a scrub jay. Oh, we better play that because it's very close. <laughs>
1: Oh,
3: done. Uh, yeah. She's on the right... Right on the right... She's on the right genius. Yeah, on the right genius.
1: That's yeah. good. I it saw was, Austin. I thought
3: she'd get it right off the bat. Oh,
1: just Off the bat. Off yeah,
3: the bat, yeah.
2: All right. Carol,
1: thank you but so sh- much.
2: Sh- try us again.
3: All
1: right. All right. Yeah.
2: Carol, uh, taking, a, giving us a, a what we call a top quality guest there yep. of a scrub jay. And uh, who's next? Uh, Catherine, I think, maybe, and... Delhi. My mother grew up in Delhi, New York. Wow. Yeah. Good morning, Catherine. Hello. Hello, Catherine. Did you know Hi that David? Did you know that David's mother grew up in Delhi?
1: What was her
2: name? Uh, Judd. Judd and Lord.
3: The Juds were oh, Delhi Walton all through there. a the place called oh. Barber Brook, which is now underneath the Cannonsville Reservoir. Sorry to interrupt, but give oh. us your give us your guess oh, yes. quickly, Catherine. Sorry, we're
2: almost out of time oh, okay. here.
1: Okay. Um, well, okay. um, if it's not the scrub jay, what
2: about a stellar's jay? Oh, <laughs> stellar. No, one no. more. Not a no. stellar's jay. I don't see anybody up there with the right answer, Tim. Am I correct? Tim, could you do a drawing there and determine the winner so we can ha- we can have a winner, even though we didn't get the exact answer that we were looking for? Which uh, is, um, uh, what was it again? Oh, yeah, it was the Mexican, Mexican Jay, Which Jay. is very scrub J. The me. Mexican Jay, And Tim is pointing to the sign that says, Carol from Austin, Austin Texas, Texas, is declared oh, our winner. Yay. All right. We have got to wrap it up here. Next week, the amazing Laura Erickson will be our oh. guest. Yes, yeah, she's an incredible writer of 11 bird books, yep. among many other things. David, thank you yep. so much. Always a pleasure, here. Thank, with thank us. you. David Clapp. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week.
0: Ray Brown's talking birds.
1: Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers Watchers General Store, Orleans Cape Cod birdwatchersgeneralstore.com and proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. We'd like to invite all of Ray's listeners to join us on one of our free upcoming walks at birding hotspots throughout Rhode Island. Explore the smallest state in the Union with the biggest variety of birds by visiting our website, www.oceanstatebirdclub.org for more information. You can also follow us on Facebook.